January 16, 1982. I know what it is. Uh, Rosman, Nell, and Dustin are chatting with Theodore Kruger. This is Theodore Kruger. Nay, Moore. Uh, yes, Moore is my that in. living room, uh, decorated with their own paintings. Oh, uh, on a lovely old house. In, uh, on Old Main Street in Putney. Mrs. Kruger's grandfather, Charles Moore, and her grandmother came to Stratford in 1856. Now she said that. The Waterville area of May. Yeah. Mrs. Kruger and her husband purchased the house where we are now in 1928. Mrs. Kruger is very capable of speaking for herself, and she will continue <laughs> to do that. I would just like to say that my grandmother did not come from Maine. Oh, she didn't. She came from Stonington, Connecticut. Stonington, oh, Connecticut. Yes. Uh -huh. You've got wonderful and things uh, about her from her, I know, you told me about. Well, now tell us about could, social I could, life. I could tell you all, uh, a whole lot about that. Yes. Uh, her father was a... Uh, he sailed a Hercilia into the Antarctic. It was the first American ship to go down there into Palmerland. They mm -hmm. named it Palmerland, but I suppose they did that because this old great-grandfather was a Swede, and they wanted to name it for some American, I suppose, because it's an American ship. But let's get back onto this here now. I just didn't want her left out. No. <laughs> um, this, uh, when my father was a boy, this was the country store. And uh, that wing, that north end, from the front right through to the back, was a store and a post office. And uh, when we came here, they still had the old post office boxes there. But uh, Mr. David Booth asked me for that, and I gave it to him. I don't know what he ever did with it. It doesn't seem to be boot up at the Booth Park. He may have given it away to someone. Maybe he used it to keep his birds in. Mm. <laughs> I didn't know he was going to give it away, of course. But uh, they were always very nice to us. My father went to school with those boys, David and Stephen. But it was their cousin, their father's cousin, who owned this house. He married a southern belle. And he built this house for her. It was built for a bride. And you'll see the mantelpieces and the window sills are all, they're all cabinet work. They're not just ordinary work. They're very beautiful work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I suppose they had English cabinet makers come over and do this. Whoever built these houses built some very fine houses. And I suppose they were English carpenters and experienced builders. This house was probably built just about 200 years old, or the uh, 1781s and about 1800. Oh, I think it, oh yes, it belongs in the, and when we had the tercentenary, they had a, uh, it said Sirkar, mm -hmm. 1800 on the front of the house. Yeah. But I think it was built before then a little bit. Yeah, well, the barn is a very fine barn, it's, and uh, the timbers are all put together with pegs and pins. Mm 
There's not a nail out there unless we've put it in. <laughs> Everything was pinned together. And this was really a, 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 well, it was a central point for this neighborhood, the Putney neighborhood. Now there was another post office, and that was in Orinoke. And each one of these sections had a school. There was a little wooden school one. After we bought this place, it was still standing down where this Putney school is. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was one in Orinoke that stood just up on the bank opposite. Well, I think it was on Mr. Tomlinson's place. He still has that now. I've understood that that was the last real country school that existed in Stratford. Well, I, I believe it was. I remember that uh, they wanted us to take it, this one that was in Putney, and move it up here somewhere and put it on our place. But I, we just didn't have the money in those days to do. Now, the, Pun the Putney one-room school was where the brick Putney school is now, the one that has That's been sold by the town to a private organization. Yes, yeah. for, for retarded children yeah. or something like yeah. that. Well, Putney school was a little wooden school. I remember it very well. Uh, I wish we had it to move down to the Historical Society oh, grounds. I we wish would we love to have our own country school. I believe uh, the town of Monroe has a, its own country school restored. Yes. They make it very much Probably a part yes. of their historical tours. Well, I was in that Putney school once before they took it down. It was just a one-room school and uh, they had a stove in it and the children kept that stove going. The boys in the school kept the stove going. And my father told me that when he was a boy, he went to school there with these the two Booth brothers, and he said they were very nice boys. And they had to bring the water from down, uh, there was a spring down there near Peck's Pond somewhere. And they had to get, go all the way down there, get water in a pail and bring it up to school. And they had a dipper, mm -hmm. and my, never, my grandmother never, allowed her children to drink out of the dipper. <laughs> she warned them not to do that. Many epidemics resulted from that use of the common dipper. Mm. And then later they put a portable school down there. And uh, Ted was on the school board when they built this school. I think Mr. Beckwith, the architect, built the school at the Retarded this is a beautifully built school. Yes, it's it's well. Anything that he built was well built. I taught there. Hmm? For a I taught there for a couple of you weeks. You did while they were between teachers. Mrs. Kruger, I know you, your father, Charles H. Moore. Uh, no, that's no, not my father. My father was Howard. Howard Moore. My great grand my grandfather was Charles Moore. My father was Howard Berntson, B-E-R-N-D-T-S-O-N, Moore. That's a good Swedish name. And his brother was Charles Herbert Moore. And Charles Herbert Moore was in the fine arts school at Harvard all his life, oh. practically, until he was retired professor emeritus there. But, uh, and he had a great deal to do with building up the Fogg Museum. But that had nothing to do with this. He was the oldest son in the family, and he went to Harvard. 
Now, you're going to tell us about social affairs up here. Mm, oh, yes. <laughs> um, I've heard my aunts tell about it. First of all, they were the children were pretty much educated at home. They didn't go off to school. My father went to Putney School, and uh, he did go and sit in on the lectures of his brother up at Harvard. But that's all the schooling he ever had, except what he got at home. And I have his books here, his Thackeray and his Shakespeare. They were brought up on very fine classics, the whole family. And the uh, Jane Austen and those people all, they were familiar with them all. And they wrote their own plays for their own amusement and presented them at home. They didn't have television to occupy their no television. time. Oh no, they had no television. No movies. No, and no movies. But uh, my grandmother learned French, and there was a time when she thought she would start a little private school and teach French. But uh, th that never happened. She didn't do that. She was a Swedenborgian. I don't know whether you ever have yes, heard of Swedenborgian. Yes, my hometown had a Swedenborgian church, oh, a, did it? Well, the New Church. Of that's Jerusalem. it, they called it the New Church yeah, of New right. Jerusalem. Well, where was the first, was there one anywhere around here? Oh no, she yeah. brought it here. Oh. And uh, she, well, I think that she <laughs> proselyted a little bit because I remember Mrs. Henry Blakeman, who was one of the people who lived up on Main Street in Arno. Mm -hmm. Used to come. They used to discuss Swedenborg, Swedenborg's works. Well, they were very rather advanced thinkers in many ways, I believe. Well, they were. I think that the, the it started down in Pennsylvania, didn't it? Near Phila outside of Philadelphia, it isn't. Uh, well, I, I think it's. They ha they still have a Swedenborgian church down there. I think. I'm sure there were some of them still. Well, there used to be one in Brooklyn, mm -hmm. but uh, you don't hear about it, Swedenborgians anymore. No. I never no, hear it mentioned though. even, but uh, well, my grandmother always had Swedenborg at the side of her plate when she was having breakfast when I was a little girl. She had her Bible and Swedenborg beside her. <laughs> so did you give your plays in your band? Mm -hmm. Did you give the plays in your barn? Oh no, they gave the plays right in the home. Oh. Right at home, they gave them in the living room. Oh no, they didn't, the lawns were too cold. To Did have they have any square dancing or anything like that? Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, Where did you go for square dancing? Oh, well, I never went for no. square dancing because this in my father's day. Mm -hmm. They went to Huntington mm -hmm. and they danced in a place called Labrys Hall. L-A-B-O-R-I-E, I think it is, Labourie. He's It's a French name. And uh, Labourie was a blacksmith up there. And he had a great big, the house is still standing, beautiful home. And the top floor they had fixed in to a, a ballroom. Hmm. And they, my father used to go up there and take girls there to dances. And uh, they danced in the homes here too. They had dances in, in the homes. They used to have dances in the, the uh, house that uh, Grace Peterson lives in now, right down here. Right down here, just you walk the, the, the old hill? Averill, it used to be the old Averill house years ago. 
Now, I don't know who built that house, but it's where Judge Wilder lived when I was a young woman. On your side, at this side of the street? On this side of the street, it yes. Was it almost down over the hill? Uh, right at the top of the yeah. hill, just just before you just go before down. Just before you go. On the right-hand side. And that was, they were, had lots of fun there. That used to have dances. and That's where my father met my mother to dance there. Oh. And then Stratford had its own fun. There was, um, did you ever know Molly Clinton? I mean, uh, I don't mean young Molly. I mean the older Molly. Colonel Clinton's wife. Who, no, but I've heard. It's the Gun the old Gunther House up on Elm Street. Well, they used to. Uh, Christian Gunther was a great friend of our family's. Mrs. Crookshank is her daughter, I believe. Is she? Uh, what was her first name? There were Molly, was, uh, Molly and Catherine, and Margaret. Is it Catherine Crookshank or Mo Molly Crookshank? Molly Crookshank. Oh, I don't think so. Molly died. She never Did married. She taught school. Was her name was Molly Clinton. It must have been Margaret or Catherine or... No, um, um, perhaps I have the wrong family. Catherine Lawrence. No, the Clintons lived Catherine up on the hill right, not to, ne right next to Dr. Hennessy's house. Uh, where, very near where Oliver Lay lived. Yes, yes. Well, in no, in I, between I, I, there. I, I, have, I was mm. thinking of... That was kind of family, and I know the one you're speaking of now, and mm -hmm. there is a. Well, that was the old Gunther home, mm -hmm. and those were the. And that is now occupied by Catherine Lawrence, who's. That sounds like yes, it. Yes, uh, that's she was a her daughter. Whose she's daughter a, was a Gunther. Well, she's a great granddaughter. Of a great granddaughter of the Gunthers that we knew in New York. Right. They, they had the fur fur. The big first store on Fifth Avenue, Gunther's, it was a very fine, elegant store. Well, didn't he attain some political... He was mayor of the... High political, yes. Mayor of the city office. of New York. Well, Mrs. Catherine Lawrence is... Uh, yeah, has, she's a great, great um, granddaughter. lives in that old home and on Elm Street and has mm -hmm. done some nice restoration of it. Has she? I didn't know that. I would like to go and see her someday. I knew her... Her great-great-grandmother, who lived in New York, her name was Mimi, M-I-M-I, -M -I, Mimi Gunther. Mm -hmm. And uh, they used to come to see us when we lived in New York at our home there. They were lovely people, and they always brought us lovely things. And Christmas time, I always had a toy of some kind from the Gunthers when I was a child. <laughs> Once we got a little Robinson Crusoe. Well, we got, we got the, the text, you know, for it, and then there was a little stage, and you pulled uh, Old Man Friday and Robinson Crusoe across by a string. Oh, my. Oh, we used to have fun when we were children, just putting on plays of our own that way. I'm sure you did. <laughs> yes, the Gunthers were a very fine family, and Christian Gunther, who was the son of the family in New York, the New York family, then came here to Stratford, I believe, in the days when Stratford was, became a nice aristocratic place. I don't think they're early natives here. They're early enough, but not of the very earliest. Yes, we have an old, old 
magazine in the files in the library in our museum. Mm -hmm. I think it's a century, either a century or a Scribner's magazine. Yes. It's a long article about old Stratford of about 1850. It compares it with a Ooh. quiet English town and speaks of the uh, aristocracy of uh, intellect, so to say. Well, it did. It, <laughs> had, it had some very, very well-educated intellectual people. Uh, it's funny, Stratford, as far as I know, never had a hotel. But uh, people came in the summers, and I think they stayed with, well, I'm not sure about this, but there's a woman named Mrs. Hudson who had a very big house in the, down in the center there somewhere. And it was a kind of a boarding house, and I think people came and spent the summers there sometimes mm -hmm. with Mrs. Hudson. And uh, they used to come up and spend summers up here in Putney, too, in the old Squire Wells' house. After he died, his, uh, his uh, son, the deacon, was married to a woman who sometimes took people in there in the summer. But, uh, oh, they made a, a big to-do about anybody who could play an instrument and play it well. And there was none of this jazzy business. It was all classical music. And Mr. Christian Gunther used to walk up on, oh, perhaps Sunday morning, I don't know what day of the week it would be, but he'd walk from Stratford, where Molly lived, all the way up here to play his violin with my Aunt Jean, who was... Aunt Jean was the first woman ever to graduate in music at Yale. Did you know that? No, I didn't. Yes. So she was a very fine musician. She played the piano, not too well, but she knew her music. She had studied under old Professor Stuckel over there. And that's spelled S-T-O-E-C-K-E-L, I think. And he had charge of the music department at Yale in those days. And that was when I was a baby. So you know how long ago that was. <laughs> what? A little over 75 years. All right. We'll leave it at that. They had a lot of nice times in Stratford socially. And of course there were the Beaches. Mr. Beach, whom I never knew, uh, the Wales family in Stratford, who owned where the Stratford, the Shakespeare Theatre is now. The Yale. The Wales. Did you ever Wales? hear of the Wales family? And no, I Mr. Beach. Wales, like the Prince Mrs. Of Wales. Wales' father, I think, was a Beach, right. and uh, he yes, was. I the, know. I know the Beach family. Well, the Beach, the first Beach that was here in Stratford that I know of was the man who, uh, he was head of the Scientific American. Yes. And yes. He, he got out that encyclopedia that I have, the Americana. Uh, is he that? Oh, so? yes. That I was, knew he was uh, editor of the Scientific American. Yes, and the uh, Americana Encyclopedia, I think, <laughs> is edited by Mr. Beach. Or you could verify that if you want to look in those books, because I have, the, have it there. But they were very educated people, too. And, and there were loads of others that I have, don't know about, of course, because I 
I was just a child in those days, and all I can tell you is what I've heard mm -hmm. through my family. What do you remember about your neighbors down here, the, the Booth brothers? Well, I... The Booth brothers used to come once during the summer up to Putney, up to the house up there, when my mother came up from New York to visit her mother-in-law, Mrs. Charles Moore. She'd come and brought me along as a baby sometimes, spent a few weeks up there in the country. And um, the Booth brothers always arrived at some time during that visit, all dressed up in their best clothes with top hats to make a formal call on my mother. Isn't the old school orderliness. They made a formal call on Mother and they always wore top hats. They impressed <coughs> you. In fact, if you go upstairs, I'll show you a picture that I painted of the booths coming to the chapel in the morning in their top hats. But before you leave today, let me take you up and show it to you. <coughs> but the Booth family... Uh, could we shut it off a minute? Yeah. Uh, I've heard my father say that uh, the father of these young David and Stephen Booth uh, made his uh, fortune that he became a very rich man selling uh, farm implements, rakes, Whatever is required for a farm. Did he sell them from the sold farm up here? Or? I don't know whether he had them delivered here and sold them or how, he's, mm -hmm. how, how he uh, sold them, but I know he sold them over a wide area of Connecticut here, way up into uh, Newtown and all through this section. He had a big business, and uh, the boys took over, I think, after that, and... Uh, they also sold those things and then they with their money they bought apartment houses and real estate in Bridgeport and I remember once David told me that he I think he said he had 96 rentals that he had to take care of that's a lot boy well, I, I have heard that they had a great yes, deal they, of real estate in Bridgeport they became wealthy men did they maintain the present area of Booth Park oh. as a farm? They, that was always a farm, yes. And uh, <coughs> after they... Was it a productive, uh, money-making farm? Oh, I don't think so. No, I think they made their money with the, their other they, ventures. They became, in a sense, gentlemen farmers. Yes, that's then. what I think. Mm -hmm. I don't, don't recall it. I know they did have an ox team. They always had a team of oxen. That's mm -hmm. another thing. Most of the farmers around here had a a team of oxen. There were Blakesleys who lived up on what is now James Farm Road. They always had a big ox team. And uh, these people had oxen here. And uh, there's an interesting thing. The water that was used out in the back here of our barn in the big trough came all the way up from that hill back there, which they used to call Golden Hill. Mm -hmm. Another golden hill. Came down through a pipe, under, under the old road, and 
under this barn and out into the trough out in, the, in my yard there where the cows used to stand when we first came here. Was it a good, never-failing supply of water? Oh, I think it never failed. Mm -hmm. And there was another uh, Prayer Spring Farm, you know, was called Prayer Spring Farm because the, there was a terrible drought here. I don't know, one or two years in the very early days. And uh, nobody had water on the farms. It was a very bad time. And uh, I think they prayed in the churches for it and so forth. And somebody went up onto or on the hill up there, back at Prayer Spring Farm, they found a beautiful spring. And it was... Isn't that amazing? So I they named it, it Prayer Spring Farm. Mm -hmm. I guess we all wish it could have been preserved. I've asked the question, but never got a satisfactory answer. What happened to Prayer Spring? Is it covered with houses, or what is it? I don't know. I don't know what happened to Prayer Spring mm -hmm. Farm. Or, uh, I know that um, Rex Delacour bought one of those old houses down on the main street. He was the governor's, uh, he was, uh, what do you call it, lieutenant governor of the state? Second in And he bought, that, he bought that place up there and started a little riding and driving, a riding club. Mm -hmm. And he had some horses up there, but that didn't last very long. That's the Delacour? Rex Delacour, yeah. yes. He was one of the aristocrats of Stratford. He had a very beautiful, charming mother. I met her once. No, she was a be beautiful that person. I understood there was a school maintained. Was there? The Delacour maintained a private school down on what is now West Broad Street. Is that so? I didn't know that. But it's undoubtedly for that family. They were a nice family. <coughs> And Rex was one of the sons, or, or I don't know, maybe he was the son. But he was the, the lieutenant governor of the state here at that time. Mrs. Kruger, with your strong Quaker principles, I know that during World War II, you uh, took in a Japanese people with whom yes. we are so sympathetic now, but with whom many of us were not so sympathetic during World War II. Yes. you want to tell us a bit about it? Yes, I'll be glad to. Uh, my husband began to get worried because they were talking about shortages and we, we thought, we had a little boy then, just a new baby, young child, about 11, 10 years old. <coughs> We didn't want to be without food on the place. And we had the farm here, which we were not operating at all. We just cut hay, that's all, and had someone else do that. But um, Ted thought we'd better safeguard ourselves. So he put a fence all around this place, way down by the river and all up. We just enclosed it in a fence. And uh, we got some cattle, and we had to have someone to take care of it. And uh, I heard about this uh, alien property custodian in Washington who had was taking care of those Japanese people out there and trying to get them resettled. They took them off their homes and their farms out there, you know. 
And uh, so I wrote him a letter, and in no time he gave me the names of two or three Japanese families who would be very glad to come. So Ted and I went up to Boston to a Methodist home, I think, up there. And here were these two Japanese people, Tay and his wife Yoshi Andow. And uh, they were lovely, gentle Japanese people, a couple. And they were employed up there in this Methodist home. They were washing the walls and doing heavy manual work. And uh, so we had a, a conference with them, and they said if their daughter approved, they would be very happy to come to us. So we had to go over to Harvard. This was the most mysterious thing. <laughs> she had already been transferred from the desert, uh, what they call it, where they all sent them out to the desert. Yeah, concentration camp. Concentration yeah. camp. Yeah. She'd been allowed to go out and they'd let her go to Harvard because she was a well-educated girl there in California. And uh, we went in to see her, and when we went in to see her on the door, it said, positively, no admittance, government work being conducted here, something like that. And here was this Japanese supposed <laughs> enemy in there, mm -hmm. and, and she was a charming girl. They were her parents uh, being and she, we, incarcerated, practically. Her parents were over in the Methodist home there in, in Boston. So we explained it to her, and she had a conference with them, and they came in no time. And it, it was really terribly cruel. Little Mrs. Andow, uh, when, when we met them at the station in Bridgeport to bring them up here, she had a, a real heavy black veil over her face so that people wouldn't see she was Japanese coming down on the train from Boston. Mm -hmm. wasn't, wasn't that sad? Mm. And they were the loveliest people, and they still are the loveliest people. Mr. Andow's just passed away. I heard from them just a few weeks ago. But she's still out there in California, and all the daughters are with her, and they, they got their farm back. Right. Oh, right. Yes, the alien property custodian uh, returned it all to them. But they lost money, of course, all those years that the government had it. They lost money. I... But the boys on Eric, the son, is now on that farm out there and running it. Now, how were they treated here? Well, by other people, not you, but by other we, people. We liked them very much. Other people didn't treat them very well. Ralph Wells wouldn't let them take crosscut from this house up to the cottage where they were living. They were living in my cottage up there. Ralph says, I don't want them on my land at all. So Mr. Ando had to work way up to the chapel and then go up Chapel Street to my cottage. And uh, Mrs. Ando was very shy. She wouldn't go with me to the stores to shop. I, I did a lot of their shopping for them. And uh, oh, I wonder, I wonder if you ever heard of anything like this. Mr. Ando asked me one day if I'd get some rice for them. So just sure? finish, yes. Well, Mr. Andow said that he liked long. They thought long grain rice was the kind that they liked. So I bought five pounds of long grain rice, and I thought that was an awful lot of rice. But I knew the Japanese liked rice, 
So when I brought it to him, I said, is that enough, Miss Dando? Is that all right? And, oh, yes, thank you very much, but we have to have more. He said, in, in California, we buy it by the ton. Good grief, what did they use it for? Well, I suppose they... Maybe he made sake. They, 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 they have co-ops there, you know. Oh, yes. I think a few families together did it. Mm -hmm. I can't... That's well, the only way Yes. Do we stop here? This is just like potatoes for them. They, they always had a ton. We wouldn't buy a ton of potatoes. They were. I think they were with me, with me almost two years, and they were. I never had lovelier people. They were considerate. They were educated. They were quiet. Did any of the people in town insult them besides Mr. Wells? No, they didn't insult them, but I, I remember once that some of the people from downtown came up in a car here and drove in to see Ted about something. Ted was on, uh, I think, the zoning or planning board mm -hmm. or something at that time. And, he, and uh, uh, they looked down at me and they said, oh, very superciliously, said, I, I hear you have Japanese here. I said, yes, and I said, they're lovely. <laughs> oh, well, I, I thought they were lovely. Yeah. Oh, yes, I, oh, one thing did happen. There was an old man named Higgins who lived up here on Cut Spring Road, and uh, I recognized his voice. He called me up on the telephone, and he said, have you got Japanese people working for you? And I said, yes, the government sent them here to me. He said, well, you get them out of there or we'll blow them out. And you know, that was very frightening. To, mm -hmm. uh, I had this little boy, this little son, and I didn't want us blown up. Well, but I just hung up the telephone. Mm -hmm. I didn't speak anymore to him.